Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Wealthy Sisters Radio, the show that promotes positive people. Tune in live on Mondays at 12 noon Eastern or listen live and 24-7 at www.wealthysistersradio.com. We know you will be inspired, empowered, and informed by the incredible women featured. And now it's showtime. Ladies and gentlemen, our host, entrepreneur, author, speaker, Deborah Hardness. Well, hello, 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 and welcome to Wealthy Sisters Radio. You know, we are so excited here at Wealthy Sisters Radio because you can visit us for all your branding needs at Wealthy Sisters Media Group. That's right. That's who we're sponsored by. We assist you with all of your branding and publishing, and you can visit us at www.wealthysistersmedia. That's S-I-S-T-A-S media.com. Wealthy Sisters Radio is where we proudly promote positive people, and our purpose is twofold. First, you know we love providing you, the dynamic audience that you are, with inspiration and encouragement, and also that practical knowledge that you can apply to your life right now and to your business to have a positive impact. And second, we love to provide that edification, promote, acknowledge, and Say thank you to the sisters for doing big things. I'm Deborah Hartnett, your host, broadcasting live on the Worldwide Blog Talk Network. Today is Monday, April 15, 2013, and that's right, this is our banner year. Yes, it is. And you know, everybody knows here in the States that this is that tax day, so we're all doing our civic duty today. You know, it's one of the great benefits of owning a business that you really, really can begin to see how um, the advantages or what the advantages are in owning a business when it, with regards to the tax system there. So definitely want to encourage you who have been thinking about it to investigate and see what great benefits there are with that. But anyway, as we say every week, you know, we are here every week, same time, same day, that's Mondays at 12 noon Eastern. We're so excited to be here, and we thank you for spreading the good news. Well, you know, as always, we have an awesome show for you planned today. Uh, as we promise every week to bring you that great content that you can use, and, and I just got to stop and say thank you again to just we get so many um, emails and Twitter messages and. Facebook from from all of you guys, and I just really thank you for taking the time out to just share with us and letting us know, you know, how the show is positively impacting you, and if you want to send us a comment, we'll definitely post it on our site as well with your information, and and, uh, if you've got a website, we'll link that up to there as well. So we we thank you, though, for for sharing that with us, and, you know, today, like I said, it's not going to be any different. You know, it's a great topic that we're talking about today uh, with our very special guest, Miss Ginger Dean. She is a phenomenal woman. Uh, You'll see that here in a moment because I'm not going to hold her from you much longer. But, you know, she had a great idea back in 2003 to start this website, this blog called Girls Just Want to Have Funds. That's F-U-N-D-S. 
and that is the number one destination for women who want to take control and dominate their finances. And she's a licensed psychotherapist with a master's degree in forensics and counseling psychology. And Ginger frequently addresses money issues with her clients and helps them manage their deepest money fears to emerge in control and dominating their finances. Girls Just Want to Have Funds has been featured all over the place, you guys, in the Business Insider, Life Hacker, Madame Noir, Hopeful Women Magazine. She's even been in the Wall Street Journal, Good Morning America. You probably recognize this, uh, the site as well, as I'm mentioning. But And so that's why we're really thrilled that she's coming on the show today. But we're going to talk about some really good things about financial abuse, how we can take control of this whole credit system, and how to maneuver in it, around it, how to recapture some of the scores maybe that we want to have, and just some really good topics today. But before we do that, before we move any further, I know right now you got your papers, your pens handy, your iPads, get that handy, but go ahead. Don't keep this information to yourself. Give, share, call your friends. Call, uh, Facebook them, text them, tweet them, tell them to dial 347-838-9278. That's 347-838-9278 right now. Tell them to call in and listen to this show. And guess what? If you can only catch the first half of it, no worries. You can dial back in or you can find this show and all of our other shows on download at Wealthy Sisters Radio. That's right. You can download this show. You can catch it on iTunes for free and listen to it right there on your smartphones, your iPads, all of those great gadgets that we have. And you can stay up to date with this great information that we share with you on a weekly basis. So, again, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, on the Wealthy Sisters, and iTunes. Under Wealthy Sisters. Dial 347-838-9278 and tune in. Have your friends tune in. And we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to bring our very special guest on, Miss Ginger Dean of Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Don't you like that name? I know you do. Stay tuned. Would you like to reach quality professionals? Expose your product and services to thousands on a monthly basis? Advertise with the Wealthy Sisters Media Group. Our packages include both on-air and website banner placement. Call our offices today at 1-800-917-9435, extension 803, or visit our website at www.wealthysisters.com to begin building your brand today. Three women are murdered every day. Around the world, at least one in three women has been or will be abused in her lifetime. It's time to change these statistics. Join Saving Promise, a national grassroots movement that's bringing about real change. Visit www.savingpromise.org to join our One Voice campaign and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Text My Promise to 20222 to make a $5 donation. We need your voice. Together we can live, thrive, and be free of domestic violence. Hello, welcome back. We're here live on Wealthy Sisters Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in and for downloading the show. We see you there in the chat room as well. I tell you, this is going to be another great show for you. We have so much in store, even for the rest of the year. We're just excited about it. And we continue to celebrate our fourth anniversary coming up this summer. Yes, indeed, and uh, we know we couldn't have been here without you, but I am not going to keep 
our guests from you any longer. Again, we have on our show today none other than Miss Ginger Dean. Hello. We well, want to as I something. said, I'm not going to hold her from you any longer. Our very, very special guest today, Miss Ginger Dean, with Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Welcome to Wealthy Sisters Radio, Ginger. Thank you for having me, Deborah. I appreciate you having me on today. Yes, yes. Well, I just want to let you know I am a huge, huge fan of yours. I've been following you on Twitter, and I just thank you sincerely for everything that you're doing to help us all. We know that your focus is women, but uh, I know it's the men that's getting a lot of good advice from the information that you share on your blog. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate your support so much. It means a lot to me. Well, definitely so. Well, you know, like I said, we're over here at Wealthy Sisters Radio. You know, we are very nosy, Ginger. You know, everybody <laughs> loves to find something that they can relate to because we have we have listeners that listen all over the world. And a lot of times, sometimes people might be in starting new with their business. They might have been in their business for several years, want to reinvent, or just be at a low, or just need to hear you know, what it is that someone else is doing just to give them that extra push. So mm-hmm. if you if you don't mind, you know, it's always important for us to identify, you know, with others. So just give us a little bit of that background information about where you grew up and how you actually got started on this journey that we see today, a, a great journey, I might add. Well, I'm actually originally from Jamaica, and so I came here to live with my mom um, when I was 11, and so I spent most of my childhood in New York. And then once I graduated from college, I moved down here to D.C. to attend grad school. And so I got married and everything else. You know, the rest is history. Um, I am However, I am recently divorced. And so what made me start Girls Just Want to Have Funds in the first place was um, coming to live here with my mom and realizing that she was a sole parent at the time because my father had recently passed away. And so, you know, I remember not being able to go to prom, however, because she'd lost a job. But she'd lost a job, but for two years she was able to keep us afloat because she had an emergency fund. And I remember giving her one of Susie Orman's books um, and telling her, you know, I think you need to read this because you need to know how to manage your money, but not already knowing that she already knows how to manage her money. You know, no, because pause, pause for a minute. I apologize for interrupting you, but how old were you when you gave your mom that book? I had to about be about fourteen or fifteen okay. years old. Okay, good, yeah. good. And what was her response to that? <laughs> um, she was she was fine with it. You know, she she kind of gave me. She took the books and she kind of looked through them. And I guess she made you know good decisions because she's always been really good with money. Right. And so. It just started from there, and then once I got to college, you know, just because of conversations I've had with her about just financial security and always planning for a rainy day, I actually started a Girls Just Want to Have Funds group. I was a resident assistant. We would have these little workshops um, once a month, twice a month, and I would have workshops about how do you manage your money because back then, I don't know if they still do it now, but credit card companies would, you know, search out the freshmen on campus to get them yeah. to sign up for those credit cards. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure that everyone understood the dangers that they were getting into in addition to their student loans. Um, so that's how the that's pretty much how it got started. And then, of course, in 2003, I secured the domain name. And then once, you know, I got started. But then once I got married is when I really started the blog because I wanted to pretty much 
journal my time as a newly married woman, married to someone at the time who did not like to manage. He like knew how to make the money, did not want to really manage it. And so for me, I had to kind of step up to the plate and pretty much learn how to do it. Um, it was a learning, you know, it was a learning, um, it was like a learning process for me because I think even though I watched my mom manage our money or manage her money, I, I was now married and I need to learn how to do it for myself. And that's pretty much what I had to do, and that's how I got started. As I moved forward, um, had a lot of growing pains, you know, being a new couple, married, you know, managing our money and making my own money, and that's pretty much how it got started. And I pretty much blogged from my perspective because mm-hmm. at the time I was blogging, you know, newly married, you know, do we want to have children? How are we going to decide on, you know, when I take time off, what, you know, what kind of impact is that going to have on my career, you know, in right. your career, things like that. So a lot of what I blog about is from my perspective, and sometimes it can be from what's going on in my life at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, those are some great, great questions that you that you threw out there. Um, when a person does enter into a partnership or marriage or relationship and they want to be committed or what have you to one another, you, you mentioned you said, do we want to have children? I mean, who's who's going to stay home? What are some other good questions that we need to ask that all relate to our financial um, plan? Well, I think the hard questions are the ones you want to ask up front and first. I think, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I've, I've mentioned this, but I'm also a licensed psychotherapist um, yeah, in no, private oh, practice. Oh, yes, yes. And, okay, you know, I think it's something that a lot of women don't really like to talk about or want to talk about. But if you're going to stay at home, make sure that you actually have a concrete, laid-out discussion about what that looks like and the finances surrounding it. Because you may have grown up with, you know, the ideal around staying at home, but the reality around it, the emotional and the financial issues that can come with it, you have to make sure that your marriage is built for it. And so I think that tends to be a topic that comes up a lot in my couple sessions, which is, you know, either resentment or feeling a lot of burden, um, not really having a financial plan around, you know, if the husband actually loses his job, then what's the backup plan? You know, will you want to go back out to work if you're not? Can you go back to work after having been out of the work world for so long? You know, maybe because you've been raising children. And I think while a lot of people recognize the contributions that a woman makes towards the household when she does stay home because I totally honor it, there's also the other side of that, which is, you know, the husband is usually the person that is shouldering all of the financial burden. And so problems can come up. And so those that's one of the questions that I urge women to ask to talk about when they're deciding to stay at home. It's an ideal, and it can work, and it does work for a lot of couples. But I find that for the couples who don't have the upfront concrete conversations, it doesn't usually work out. Wow. And that I guess that is just true in life. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's very good with you being a psychotherapist. You can really help us delve into the, the whole psychology behind that and the mindset of that because, I mean, I, I, I can envision us having a lot of times we have these pictures or we grow up with those images or this perfect picture of what we always think, and then mm-hmm. we realize in experience that maybe that may not be um, what works best, you know, for us. So those are some, some great questions and suggestions that you asked there. Um, how do you, you know, as a psychotherapist, this is this is a great uh, match here, how did you mm-hmm. – 
come up with this? I know we talked about the transition of you blogging, you know, from your perspective, you newly married, your mom's background and the foundation she laid for you. But how did you marry the two with being a psychotherapist? You know, it wasn't an, it wasn't my intention um, early on. I think only very recently have I mentioned on the blog that I am a psychotherapist, um, and I generally keep that. I usually and generally keep that side of my life very very separate from the blog. Um, but of course, it you know of course you're going to find it in the blog post that I actually write. You'll see that I kind of go into certain topics a little bit deeper, especially around, around financial abuse, and so. It wasn't. It definitely wasn't my intention. That was just a separate life of mine that only recently have I really began to talk about it because I think a lot of people realize that I'm not just giving laser analysis of our financial issues or just, you know, laser financial analysis of the recent personal finance news. I'm really getting into topics that women need to delve into to understand their finances because it's not so much about education, but it's understanding your approach and why you think about money the way that you do and how, you know, that colors the actions that you take with it. So it's only recently that I began to do that. Most definitely. I mean, here at Wealthy Sisters Radio, we're always talking about the holistic point and the Mm -hmm. mindset. And, you know, we mention every week that uh, business is 95. I got a CD that says 95% mental, but I really need to change it and say 99% mental. So (laughs) I think that is an awesome correlation there. You mentioned something about financial abuse. What is that? Financial abuse is essentially when it could be from, you know, a man's perspective, you know, for a woman or a man that that experiences that, because I think with the article that it's one of the most popular articles on the site. And a lot of, I I think we come up first in the search search results for it when we talk about financial abuse Mm -hmm. and marriage. And what it is is essentially when you're in a relationship and you're forced to make a lot of negative decisions around your life and your relationship because of finances. And so for what some women that may look like, you know, it could be there's there's control in wanting to manage the money in in an orderly way, and then there's control to the extent that you have to beg for money to buy deodorant. And, you know, if you didn't, you know, he may not be actually putting his hands on you, but if you didn't make dinner correctly, that $10 that you were going to use to buy deodorant and tampons, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, you may not be allowed to have access to the bank accounts. You're only given money. You're only given cash. And you're only given a certain amount because he needs to be able to control that. So mm-hmm. you may have bank accounts. Your name may not be on it, and you don't have a debit card um, to access the money, and you're not allowed to even ask questions or even know much about what's going on with your money. So you're sort of in a position where it's up to the, the it's up to the person that you're married to or you're in a relationship with pretty much your whole life and destiny because if they decide that they don't want to give you money anymore, then how are you going to support yourself, mm. right? So you find, you said that, and that is one of the most popular articles in, that uh, comes up in the search engine. You're like number one for that subject mm-hmm. here. Wow. Um, what What is it? I mean, obviously there are a lot of people or is an interest um, around that. What what? What do you think that is? How has this happened? Or I think a lot of people are honestly suffering in private. It's not something that, you know, you're not going to come to a dinner party and say, hey, my husband doesn't give me money for deodorant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's something that people suffer with privately because when I, you know, I hear about it in my therapy sessions with women, 
you know, this is something that no one talks to me about in public, whether they know that I'm a therapist or not. Mm-hmm. And so it comes up in our therapy sessions, and so we actually have plans where we strategize about how you're going to get back on your feet financially so that you can get from underneath this financial control. And so I think what happens is people, are people whether it be men or women, because it can happen to both sexes, they're just very ashamed that they're adults, and they're in this situation where they're being controlled almost like children, and I can understand that. I mean, no one really wants to say, well, my husband doesn't give me money for X, Y, Z, or, you know, I'm not allowed to go back to work because he wants me to be pregnant and, you know, stay at home with the kids. Or, you know, one of the other things that we talk about in the article is forced career choices. And that's pretty much where, because if you have to make certain career choices, such as staying at home, or you can't work a full-time job because he's going to sabotage your career or work life by forcing you to stay at home. Or, you know, he's going to give you an ultimatum around quitting your job or the end of the relationship if you're not going to stay at home or if you just don't work part-time. And so no one really wants to talk about that in public. No one really wants There's a lot of shame around that. So, that's, you know, in my experience, that's why you don't really hear much about it, but the search engines are definitely buzzing with search, you know, with searches about it. Mhm, mhm. And it, can you share? I mean, I definitely, we want you to provide your information um, so people can reach out to you that might be experiencing some things or have questions or like to hire you um, for whatever um, they might mm-hmm. need. So, because I, I saw on your blog that you also Skype. So it, just because someone is not in D.C. doesn't mean that you can't help them if they're somewhere in California or somewhere. Yes, yes. Um, but what what are, if you can just, just suggest a couple of things that if someone is in that type of situation, what are some steps that they need to do to maybe acknowledge that or uh, to begin getting some assistance or... I think one of the first things is really making a decision that you don't want to live like this anymore. I think mm-hmm. one of the issues I find is, you know, it doesn't hurt enough, it doesn't burn enough, the situation just isn't bad enough for them to want to make a change. And so you have to make sure that when you're actually wanting to make a move, you have to make sure that, okay, so this is exactly what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Then the next step will be to create a strategy. You know, I you know, I talk to women all the time about, okay, so what it's going to look like is I have a well what it's going to actually look like is you know maybe you start to think about how can you start to put some money away can you reach out to friends or family who are willing to help you out you know can you get a part-time job that maybe he doesn't know about no one likes to talk about this i think i always get um and I'm a Christian, so I mean, I'll say our holy rollers who say, well, you know, you're not supposed to hide money from your spouse, but you're in a situation where, you know, your whole existence depends on someone give, giving you money for deodorant and tampons, mm-hmm. then that's a problem. And so mm-hmm. I don't, I definitely don't condone or I definitely don't suggest staying in that situation at all. And mm-hmm. so whether it be you siphon money, whether it be you talk with, fam, you know, friends or family members who can help you out and slowly help, you know, whether they can allow you to stay with them while you get on your feet, whatever it is that you need to do, start to create and strategize what your plan A, B, and C might look like because that's the only way that you're going to get out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good. So if you, I tell you, if you have just joined our show, you're listening live to Wealthy Sisters Radio. Our very special guest again is none other than Miss Ginger Dean of Girls Just Wanna Have Funs. That's F U N D S. We want to have some money. Yes, indeed. And uh, she is also a psychotherapist. And I just, 
I just really think, Ginger, I'm glad that you brought that out because that validates what you say. Not that you needed any validation, but for those mm-hmm. out there that might say, oh, okay, well, who is she to, to make these correlations? That just really, really takes it to a whole nother level um, mm-hmm. with your expertise that you're sharing with us today. So, now, let me let me ask you, we talked a little bit about this financial abuse. I, I kind of want to move into um, the part of what we might be doing to ourselves as far as self-sabotage um, around our finances and credit. Uh, do you find that um, you get a lot of inquiries about that, or do you help people with those? Challenges of maybe, you know, I saw a site, um, a, a blog of yours that talks about what is it, overspending or um, mm-hmm. binging? What is it? What are you? What is that site? I'm oh, you're about? referring to the interview over at BingeBehaviors.com. Binge, yes, yes, binge, binge, yes, yes, yes. So, can can you, you know, talk about some of those areas to maybe for people to be able to recognize if they have a problem, um, if they don't know that. They've got to buy shoes every day that that might be a cause of uh, yeah. concern. Well, yes, I think that any behavior where it's just compulsive, where you don't feel that you can control your spending habits, you know, mm-hmm. and then what eventually happens is you have a lot of anxiety around, you know, my God, I just spent my rent money on my latest, you know, I guess, you know, designer shoes or designer purse because, you know, they were anxious. I think that when people hear about compulsive behaviors, they immediately think, oh, that person's crazy. You know, I would never do that. But think about, you know, and I guess this is part of what I hate about how women are often socialized or how we're even looked upon when it comes to money, but the term retail therapy. I think that we kid ourselves into, you know, into believing that, you know, when we have a bad day that we deserve to go out there and shop our budget to hell because we have this attitude of this entitlement that we deserve it. Well, the question is, can you afford it? You know, right. and so when you go into, well, I deserve these shoes because I've had a hellish day or a hellish week at work. Well, can you really afford the shoes because it's really Visa or MasterCard that's paying for it? You're not the one paying for it. And if you're not able to pay the bill at the end of the month, then you can't afford it. When we get into binge behaviors, that's really more so of a mental health issue. And, you know, depending on who you talk to, no one really, when I say who you talk to, your clients, they don't really want to hear that it's a mental health issue. But what it is is, you know, the person may vacillate between depression and anxiety, sometimes even, you know, bipolar disorder, um, because they're anxious about some issue that's going on in their life, and they're thinking that, well, if I go out and I have some retail therapy, I'll be able to soothe myself. But it's actually not soothing you. It's creating a lot more anxiety for you because you just realize, hey, I'm not going to be able to make rent at the end of the month. Right, right. Those are sabotaging behaviors, but they're more so deeply rooted into mental health issues, which, again, depression, anxiety, which fuel the need to do this because they think, well, I'm going to feel better if I do this. But at the end of the day, you don't. You just realize that, well, I just let my anxiety, take, you know, get the better of me. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't sound any different to me than someone that might be using food. Like you said, any compulsive yes. behavior, you know, it, it, we yes. get depressed or we um, have a bad day. It's, it, it doesn't matter. I'm going to eat, you know, the pain away yeah. or what have you. So. It, mm-hmm. Those behaviors, I guess, are all rooted into what you're saying, the same thing. And I love this discussion because, you know, like I said earlier, we do talk about the holistic pro- approach to everything um, with our business and, and our life. Um, what there seems 
to be, from what you're saying, a lot of emotional attachments around money and finances. Yes. I think you kind of uh, alluded to that earlier. Yes. What can you can you share more about that of the emotional attachments and how perhaps we grew up or or how we see and 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 maybe some patterns that we have that we need to recognize that to change mm-hmm. and how we can do those things. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's funny because you, that you talk about that because I remember I just saw an article by well maybe. It's in one of our Facebook groups because as finance bloggers, we all pretty much talk to each other on Facebook um, in our own, in our respective groups. And I actually saw an article posted the other day about um, one woman who won $10 million, but she now rides the bus to work. And a quote that was extricated from the article um, was that, but the fact is that in the age of information where there is no excuse for being financially illiterate, that there is no excuse for being financially illiterate. And the reality is it's not about access necessarily to financial education. What it really boils down is changing how we think. And financial education doesn't necessarily address how we think about money. What it addresses is actually the actual the tools, the tools the that you need in order to, the how-tos, exactly. Right, And so right. if I grew up with nothing, right, and right. I, then I go into the military, and then I, you know, I make a lot of money because I've been able to search through the ranks up to, you know, you know, major and everything else like that, and now making a lot of money, a lot of my decisions about money will range from one of two. Well, one of three. It will be that I will overspend because right. I didn't have it as a child. Mm-hmm. I will not spend a lot because I didn't have a lot of that as a child and I want to maintain it, or I'm going to be in the middle somewhere and find balance. And mm-hmm. so financial education doesn't address that. Financial education simply tells you, save, you know, save for a rainy day, invest your money, save for retirement, it doesn't talk about, well, what was your childhood like? Did you have a lot? And how is that influencing what you do today with your money? And so as far as our emotional connection to money, you know, the the, the food we buy, the clothes we wear, you know, the shoes, you know, and the red bottoms and what it says about us, um, the house we live in, the car we buy, you know, that all has to do with money. And so when we want to be perceived a certain way, we function and our money will tell us, pretty much will tell the world how we feel about it because either you respect it or you don't. If you're using money to pretty much build your self-esteem, then it's going to be the source that brings you down as well because if you're not saving it, then you're definitely not going to be able to spend it. So, Mm-mm-mm. And when you say respect it, are you talking about respecting money? I'm Yes, respecting the fact that you can't just – Spent the one money is the one thing, and you know, one of the things in our lives that can make us or break us, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's the reality. If we don't have much of it, you're not going to be able to have a roof over your head. You're not going to be able to put food on your table if you don't respect the fact that you need to save it, that you need to reduce your debt. Then it's not it's not going to work for you. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, there are a lot of um, approaches, and like you mentioned, a lot of financial education out there that doesn't really deal with what you're talking about, that emotional side of it. But, but what, you know, what do you say to someone who, you know, says, well, I, I work hard, you know, are you saying that I'm not supposed to have nice things or uh, I should look like a pauper or in their opinion or, or what are you saying, you know, as far I'm as... I'm saying that 
it makes more sense for people to have balance when it comes to their money. I think you can have nice things. I'm the last person to tell you to split, you know, two-ply two ply toilet tissue because you want to extend the role. You know, I'm not that person. But there are people that do that, and they're perfectly wow. happy. Fine. <laughs> but, you know, I'm also not someone that clips coupons because I don't generally find them to be that helpful with, my, you know, my spending. Now, if we're talking about 20%, you know, over at Bed Bath & Beyond, I'm going to do it. But okay. generally, no. But what I'm simply saying is that you have to be, you have to find balance, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't, I, I always question, and I do always question the people that have to have name brand everything. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think that if you only want to have, you know, you know, red bottoms, or if you only want to have, you know, Michael Kors, then I think those are other issues that you have to kind of look at. If mm. those things were not there, who would you be? Who right? would you be? Right. Okay. Exactly. You have to think about that because if Michael Kors wasn't around, if, you know, I don't know, Louis Vuitton wasn't around, who would you be? And mm-hmm. why, why do these name brand designers who don't even know you, why do they need to speak for you? Mm-hmm. And so you always need to be photographed in the latest designer wares or something like that. Then I think it speaks volumes about who you think you should be in the public eye. And mm-hmm. so that's where I think, you know, we have to be careful around, again, how we respect money because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not always about the latest and greatest, you know, name brand. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, you see a lot of people that do hide behind um, those brands or what have you when they walk in the room that, that gives them that that like, that like feel, I guess, of what they need to have instead of really showing who they really are. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong liking the brands. I like, I like certain brands myself. I mean, mm-hmm. I probably would not ever buy another PC again because even though they're really cheap, I, I love – MacBooks, I love my iMac. Um, you know, so I like what I like, but I'm right. also not going to go into the poorhouse doing it right. either. Right. You buy it because you like it. It's not necessarily yeah. you're saying there's a there's a caution if we have to buy it just because it's that brand, even yeah. though you might not like it. Because <laughs> there's a, I know I used to say uh, on my journey, I was like, I want to get have enough money that I can buy the ugly shoes. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> all the wealthy. <laughs> And there was a time when I thought, well, you know, I want to buy, what do you call it, a Christian Louboutin shoe, or however you pronounce it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I thought, you know, maybe I wanted, like, the red bottoms. And I thought, well, I want to have a pair just so I can say I had a pair. And I thought to right. myself, but I'm not going to pay between 900 and $1,400 for those <laughs> shoes. I just don't fancy shoes. Like, I love stilettos, but I just right. don't fancy them enough to spend that much money on them because in a year or six months, they're going to be out of season. So right. I can do a whole right. lot more with my money. So even, you know, I'm just one of those people, if I had the money, I just don't know that I would spend the money on it. On so, that, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think you have to think about, I don't have a I have friends who love those shoes, but I think also if you're using it to define who you are, then I think that's when you run into a problem later on in life. Right, right. Get it because you like it, not because you're using it, like you said, to define who you are. Exactly, yeah. That's that's great. That's great. So let's talk a little bit more about um, some of the things that you do to help people around the credit. I mean, because I read a lot on your blog about the credit, and we know today there have been a lot of challenges with credit. First mm-hmm. of all, okay, I have my own opinions around that, but I'll keep quiet on that. But <laughs> so 
what what is this whole credit system about? Can you can you really go into details um, about what this credit system really is? Uh, can you be a little bit more specific? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, we know. I mean, we know we know you got your major three, you know, Experian or what have you. But you know what? How does the information get reported? Um, and what can we say? What, what can a person do today if they've had challenges with their credit, and why should they be concerned uh, so much today uh, around their credit? Oh, okay. So as far as your credit is concerned, I usually say that you don't want to make credit, you know, the great – I have this article about, um, the, you know, the five holy grails of credit that you really shouldn't be worrying about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a little bit ambivalent about the credit system because I think that, on one hand, you need credit because you need to be able to rent the apartment. You need to be able right. to, you know, lease a car or buy a car if you want to. But I think overall it doesn't mean that, you know, you should throw away concern around it. You really do need to pay attention to it. So the basics. Um, there are three credit bureaus. Mm-hmm. Everything that you do is reported essentially to the credit bureau. Even if there are things that are reported to the credit bureau that you have no idea about that don't show up on your credit report. Um, like so it's almost like big watching. Mm-hmm. Excuse me? Can you give some examples of those? Uh, oh, whether or not you, for instance, your bank account. If you oh. overdraw on your bank account. If you, for instance, what's the other one? There's another thing that's reported on your credit bureau report. I can't remember right now. It's going to come back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to do, like, your utility bills. Are you, you know, there? there's information that the utility companies actually report to the bureaus that we don't really know about, but it doesn't show up on our credit scores. But whenever the utility companies um, pull your credit, they have that information. So it doesn't affect your score, but it is being reported somewhere. But um, it affects whether you have to do a deposit or something like that with utility yeah, companies. Okay, okay. Exactly. So they can tell you based on your service and your professional accounts, um, actually, you know, what your history looked like. Um, some of you, some some may know about check systems, for instance. Um, pretty much if you Ditched a credit, ditched a checking account and left it in a negative. You're reported to check systems if you don't um, fix it, and so you're not able to get a checking account. Usually, if you're in check systems, check systems is sort of like the credit bureau for checking accounts. Okay. Um, but as far as the three major credit bureaus is Experian, there's TransUnion, and then there's Equifax. You want to make sure that all all of the same information is being reported and the correct information is being reported to all three. You want to make sure that your payment history is straight. Like you want to make sure that you don't have any late payments. If you feel that you're going to be late, call your creditor up to work something out where they're not going to report it. Whatever you whatever you do, try to make sure that it's not reported as late because in this area, you know, in this time and era of, you know, everyone's late or some people are being late because of hard times and you don't want to be one of those people because the banks are pretty, uh, I would say, weary right now about lending to people or giving people credit who are inconsistent in their with their payment histories. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that your balances don't go over 20% of the total balance or the total credit limit, because then that then that's when it starts to affect your credit you know, your credit score. Having a good mix of credit types of revolving credit, you want to have personal loans, auto. But again, I think, again, for me, this is where it kind of goes into the lane of being ambivalent towards it because I don't believe in just opening up a credit card, a personal loan, an auto loan just so I can have a good mix of credit. Um, I just want to make sure that whatever I actually need is being paid back on time um, in full, usually, hopefully. (laughs) 
Um, so that's where I get a little bit ambivalent about it because I know that sometimes you may get your credit, you may get rejected from something and they tell you you don't have enough of a credit history. When right. in fact, the person may just be used to and okay with operating in cash, but they're being denied because they're being responsible. So, so in that case, because that's where I'm at, you know, you, you reach a certain age where you feel like, you know what, <laughs> I, this is a trick bag here. Even You, you even kind of talked about the student loans uh, in the beginning there, how you were helping students when you started that group on, when you were in college or uh, a resident, yeah. I believe you said, you know, um, around the whole student loan uh, theory there, but um, so a person that wants to remove themselves from the credit system, you're saying at least maybe would a, an American Express be something that, uh, or a credit card that they would pay off every month with a gas card or something, what what would you suggest for them to use uh, so that they can still be able to maneuver through the system? You know, like I would just get a regular credit card. I think one of the things I did was, you know, when I first moved to this area, I wasn't big on credit, um, mm-hmm. but I had a couple of balances, and so I paid everything off, and then I told the credit union I want them to reduce my – I mean, it was probably a big mistake because when I when it came time to buy a house, you know, the banker did ask me about it. But I actually told them to reduce the limit from 10000 down to 1000 because I didn't want to get in trouble again. When mm-hmm. I first graduated college, my mom actually, she helped me out by paying off a, a few of my balances for me. And she mm-hmm. told me she'd never do it again. And because I knew I wouldn't have the money to, you know, if I ran those bills back up, she wasn't coming to save me. And so I told them, I said, reduce my limit down to a thousand, and I even had one of them reduced down to five hundred, just so that I would not be able to run it back up again. So that's something that they can do. You can actually just get a regular credit card, and even if they give you fifteen thousand dollar credit limit, ten thousand, five thousand, get it reduced to something that you know that you can manage. Should you ever, God forbid, max it out, mm-hmm. you know. So you don't always have to go overboard with credit. Just make sure that whatever credit you have or that you need, you just get it because you actually need it and not because, hey, it'd be nice. Just because the bank says you can have a $40,000 car or a $500,000 house, it doesn't mean that you need to then go out and buy that much house or that much car. Right, right. So is that that whole principle of kind of uh, living below the means or not overextending yourself? Right, okay. Exactly. And back during the housing boom when, you know, the banks were giving out mortgages like candy, you know, Mm -hmm. people were able to get mortgages over $700,000 without little thought as to, well, how am I actually going to afford the house? The mortgage... You know, the landscaping, the you know, the, the electricity that comes along with it, how am I going to do that? And mm-hmm. so people get into a lot of trouble that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with, with the credit piece there, um, what did you hear about the scores all the time? Have they adjusted the scores? Or what is a good score, a poor score, and, a, I guess, an a okay score? It depends on who you're talking to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, different companies have different, you know, you know, levels as far as what they'll use to approve you. Um, I don't necessarily focus on the score so because you have Vantage that's out there, you have FICO that's out there, and they're very different. The scoring models are very different. First, you want to find out, you know, if you're with a bank for a very long time, you want to find out what scoring model they use, and then try to get the access or you get the report that they use because mm-hmm. if it doesn't make sense for you to order FICO if your bank's still using Vantage, you know. And then there are banks that have their own scoring models as well. So, 
your Vantage could be 650, for instance, and then your FICO could be saying 700. But if your bank is using, you know, Vantage, it doesn't make sense for you to even look at FICO. So, for instance, I would say you, you always, even if you're struggling in the credit arena, you want to try to at least get up to 650. I would say 700 used to be the, you know, I have a 700 credit score. Actually, right now, I think you want to really good credit is about 750 to 800 again but it depends on the scoring model everyone doesn't use the same scoring model and some scoring models start at 300 and end at 800 some people will start you know it's different for different companies mm-hmm. so you want to just make sure that you know if you know you're going to apply to Bank of America for an auto loan make sure that you're looking at what Bank of America is looking at in terms of your score and your report okay and will they tell you that what they use is do they have to tell you that Yeah, you can usually ask them um, because they'll tell you, well, we pull from Experian or we pull from Equifax. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, each thing of the the credit bureaus will funnel the actual information into the lender, and then the lender has their own scoring model as far as how they score that information. So that's why the information that you send to the bureaus or that's reported to the bureaus needs to be accurate because then it's then filtered into a scoring model who then comes up with their own independent report as far as, you know, how creditworthy you are. Okay, okay. So, you know, a person says, listen, Ginger, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) my credit is Jack. <laughs> yeah. How am I going to get this back? You know, what are, what are some things that people can do today? You know, you you see a lot of the credit repair commercials and, yeah. and signs everywhere and call credit this solution this and do you suggest that people use those type of services or um is it something that they can begin doing and can you give them an idea about how long it generally takes to get your credit back to uh, a decent score? Well, one, I don't believe in paying someone to fix your credit. There's no real trick to fixing your credit other than consistency. And so sometimes it just depends on it depends on the person's individual situation. If your credit has been bad for a very long time and you've sort of dipped off the radar in terms of opening up new accounts, then you might be close to having a lot of things charge off and just fall off of your credit report. Depending on your state, it could be five, seven, ten years. So, for instance, if I know that I have an account that's, you know, pretty old, I haven't touched it, you know, I haven't made any payments on it in, let's say, 6.5 years, and in my state the statute of limitations is seven years, I'm just going to wait, honestly, six months for it to fall off, and then that's actually going to increase my score. That's a trick. However, some people, it's not a trick, it's just a fact, it's just it's state law. And so a lot of companies will tell you, well, you know, we'll make it disappear. No, you're not making it disappear. You're just waiting it out just like the people who do it themselves do. Um, If you're in the midst of bad credit where you're actively, you know, jacking your credit up by not paying stuff, you're going to look at at least, I would say at least three years. You're going to one to three years for things to kind of improve once you start to make consistent payments. Um, one of the things you can do is actually getting a secured card so that you can, you know, maybe put 250 on it and then you spend it according because you put the money on it that's already paid. You're just going to spend the money that's actually on it, and it gets reported to the bureaus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how you want to do it. You want to make sure that any late payments that you've made, you know, talk to the talk to your lender about how, you know, if I were to settle this amount with you, can you erase you know, these late payments. Some lenders are opposed to doing that and some lenders will actually agree to it because they want the money or your collections 
um, you know, the collections folks, they will actually try to work something out with you because they just want the money at the end of the day. And so, right. okay, mm-hmm. okay. So that's what happens when you mention. I'm glad you mentioned the collections because. Uh, so these creditors, they they sell it to ha- ha- the collection people, and ha- how does that work? Because I don't think a lot of people understand that whole process there. Well, so when you're when you're debt, let's just say you're you have an account with Verizon, and mm-hmm. you know you stop paying it, and you owe two hundred bucks, and you know Verizon tax on for sake of argument, you know seventy five dollars in fees, so it's now two seventy five. Um, they have now written that off as a loss because they're like, well, we can't get it from, you know, we can't get the money from her. So okay. they're, what they're going to do is sell it over to, you know, United Collections Bureau. Um, and United Collections Bureau will actually, what they'll do now is they'll try to get you to pay it because what they they got it from Verizon for pennies on the dollar. And if mm-hmm. they get you to pay it, if they even get you to pay half of it, that's worth it for them because if they paid, you know, I don't know. Uh, Let's just say they paid, if they paid Verizon seventy five bucks for the account, if they get you to pay the whole two seventy five, they've just made a lot of money on your account, and that's pretty much how it functions. And so that's why accounts get sold and resold to a bunch of different companies because they can't find you. So basically, basically, it's like made the best collection collections agency win in terms of finding you, validating the debt, and getting you to actually pay up. And so for that reason, I usually try not to deal with the collection um, agency. Right. Okay. Um, I had a situation before, um, you know, my husband and I split. Um, we had a situation where, uh, gosh, it was a zombie gas bill from, I think it was maybe eight years before. It was like 6.5, 7.5 years earlier, before we even met. And I got them, well, one, they had the dates incorrect. So we had them correct the date, so therefore it slashed the bill in half. Um, so that's one of the things that we did. And then once we realized that the bill was lower and then we realized, well, you know, where we lived before, where he lived before in New York State, the state law actually said delinquency the delinquency starts from 30 date, well, from the first missed payment. So we calculated from the first missed payment that till that day that we only had four months before it, would act, before it was legally required to come off of the credit report. And so instead of paying it, we just waited the four months and we told them, look, stop contacting us. This is actually now charged, you know, this is actually legally not required to be on the credit report. And that's actually one of the slicker moves that you can use with older zombie debts. But mm-hmm. it's state law. I mean, it's in the law. Like, you're actually able to do that. Now, morally, should you pay the debt? You should probably pay the debt. But at the right. time, you know, the bill was, it was a pretty high bill. And so I don't think he even knew about the bill. But well, that's one like you said, they've written it off and they have uh, <laughs> sold it. So, you know, um, there, there's that side of it as well um, there too. So what what happens with all of this if you, you send a note in or to the credit bureaus and you're, if you find something on your credit that's not yours and you deny that or what have you and they don't respond, what, what's the whole bit around that? I've heard that you can get things off your credit like that if that's not supposed to be on there, if you, you know, mention that it's not supposed to be on there. You know it's not supposed to be on there. Mm-hmm. It depends. Um I'm typically not a huge fan of the credit bureaus because I haven't found them to be very consistent. 
Okay. I think it's easier to actually, you have to work through the credit bureau, but you also have to work, you really are working with the um, the creditor because the, okay. all the credit bureaus do is they're sort of like an intermediary between you and the credit, with you and the creditor. And so okay. if the creditor comes back and says, nope, this is valid, then it's going to be valid. You have to have proof. You have to make sure that you're communicating with that um, representative clearly and maturely because if you're yelling at them, they're not going to do anything for you. But you right. need to make sure that you have all the information that you need to show them. Like, for instance, we had to show that he wasn't actually living in the state at the time that he was being billed for this gas bill, that he actually sold the house and moved away. And so that was one of the things that we had to do because the creditor, the creditor at the time, they didn't even want to consider that. And so we actually had to go up the chain in the gas company and actually get them to show, hey, this is his, um, I think the W, I think it was his, um, you know, the letter that you get when you initially start working for him, his offer letter showing yeah. that okay. he had an offer letter, he moved down here at this time, and therefore, you know, he couldn't have been living in that house. We showed the papers where he sold the house at the time. He wasn't living there. We actually had to show that to the creditor. The credit bureaus had nothing to do with that process. Though we started the dispute process with them, it did not end with them. And so a lot of people think that, well, if I just dispute through experience and it's going to be fine, you can dispute through experience. However, you need to show valid proof as to why this is incorrect. You need to show canceled checks. You need to show email correspondence. You need to show, you know, bank account statements where the payment was actually pulled, you know, from the company. So you actually have to show you have to show proof. You can't just say, "Well, this isn't mine," and it's going to fall off because that's not how it works. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, wonderful, wonderful. Well, I tell you, this time has gone by so fast. Uh, yes. We're definitely <laughs> going to have to have you back on again, Ginger. Yeah, I love this. This is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe we have to do something regular because you are a wealth of information. And like Thank I said, you. Um, I really love the emotional approach that you attach, the mindset that you attach to. Uh, dealing with finances and money and all of that, of course, the way we handle our personal finances is definitely going to affect um, our businesses as well. And, you know, please let everybody know how to get in contact with you, um, where they can find you on Facebook and Twitter. And definitely we want to remind everyone she is a psychotherapist. Um, she's definitely qualified to share this information today. And, you know, if you feel like you're feeling some of those things that we talked about earlier around the financial abuse or you might have some problems or shopping a little bit too much or what have you, go ahead and give her a call. Just because you're not in D.C., she can Skype a session with you as well. So, Ginger, please give your information to our audience. Well, you can actually email me at ginger at girlsjustwannahavefuns.com. That's F-U-N-D-S dot com. You can catch me on Twitter at gingerlatte. That's G-I-N-G-E-R-L-A-T-T-E. And on Facebook as just girls just want to have fun. Awesome. Do you do live events, Ginger? We do. We actually have a meetup group here in D.C. that we like to meet up. We haven't met in quite some time, but that's something that I'm looking to get started again. But okay. um, having, like, online groups, that's something that we'd like to get started, too. So look for that pretty much, uh, I would say, later on this year. All right. Well, any final words or thoughts uh, that you'd like to leave our audience with today? 
I think one of the things that I like to impart to women is just about being being mindful about some of the decisions that you make that have to that relate to money. It doesn't always have to do with the dollar that's in your pocket. It could be around career, it could be around relationships. All of that eventually affects your money, you know, whether it be having a child, whether it be lending money to that, you know, new boyfriend. Um, it could be asking for a raise. Just be mindful about how the decisions that you make do, you know, they do affect your bottom line. And so that's always what I want to remind women about when it comes to their money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we do use our heart a lot. <laughs> yes, and, you know, we have to guard our hearts because everything that we do flows from it. And so when we think about, you know, impulse spending and things like that, we have to be mindful because it can have, you know, detrimental effects on your money. And so you can't blame anyone else for, you know, not being able to pay your rent on time because those are decisions that you've actually made that you have to now account for. Right, right. Wow. Ooh, powerful, powerful. Well, you just heard her live here. We're so happy to have had Miss Ginger Dean of GirlsJustWannaHaveFuns.com. Thank you so much, Ginger, for joining us today. We send continued success to you, and like I said, we're definitely going to have to plan to have you back on the show. Yes, yes, I'd love to. I enjoyed this a lot. Yes, indeed. Well, that was our very special pre-recorded interview of Miss Ginger Dean of Girls Just Want to Have Funds. Make sure you check her out at Girls Just Want to Have Funds. That's F-U-N-D-S dot com. Send her a message. Let her know you heard her here on our show, Wealthy Sisters Radio, and definitely share it because she talked about some great things. If you just tune into the show, you can go back. You can download it right after this show here today. You can catch us on uh, Wealthy Sisters Radio, that's S-I-S-T-A-S, WealthySistersRadio.com, and as always, you can find us free right there on iTunes under Wealthy Sisters. Download the show today. Get into that RSS feed. Go ahead and subscribe to us so you can get the reminder there, and you can have it right there on your smartphone. I'm telling you, what great way to be able to get good advice, sound advice, and to continue to prosper in your business and in your life. Well, you know, as always, we know we're promising you the best as we deliver every week Next week will not be any different. Stay tuned for another awesome show next week. And we want to just remind you that, you know, this is the best, and the best is yet to come. And guess what? It begins with right now. So as always, we wish you and yours the best of everything great, and we look forward to hearing you, sharing this space and time with you next week. Thanks so much, and continue to have an awesome day. This has been another episode of Wealthy Sisters Radio. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for another positively impacting show next week. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Wealthy Sisters and on the web at WealthySistersRadio.com. The opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our hosts, staff, or partners of our Wealthy Sisters.